We're going to be continuing our walkthroughs through some of the miracles of, of Jesus. But before we get into the message, I just want to mention a, a couple of things. First, if you didn't know it, Red House was 130 years old this past September. And that is something, that is something to celebrate. As there are thousands of churches closing their doors every year. And Red House is 130 years old. So uh, what a blessing to have many who have gone before us to allow us to meet uh, today and to continue to serve the same God that they served. And that's something to celebrate. Something else we want to celebrate is we're having a revival of Thanksgiving on November 11th through the 13th. Uh, you may have seen it in your bulletin. If you read your bulletin, it's on the front. But uh, November 11th through the 13th, we're having a revival of Thanksgiving with Bo Warren. Bo Warren's the worship pastor at Emmanuel Baptist. He was here this summer on a Sunday night and did a concert for us in July. And George Yates is going to be our speaker for that uh, revival. Uh, many of you may remember George. He was our interim pastor uh, in uh, these, uh, 2012 to 2013 and did a great job. And I'm really good friends with George, have a relationship with him in California. And we both got out of California, made a smart move, and moved to Kentucky. So... Uh, so George is a great friend, and uh, he, he loves the Lord, and I, I think you'll be blessed. I want to clear your calendar for that weekend. Start Friday night at 7, Saturday night at 7. We'll have a light meal on each of those nights, and then uh, Sunday we'll uh, have a big celebration service, and then that Sunday night will be our Thanksgiving meal as a church. So we just want to make it a weekend of celebration and invite you to come, be praying about that. This revival is not going to happen if there's not prayer. So we want to make sure that we're praying as a church, praying in your Bible study classes and your quiet time, and make this a priority. And also not just pray, but invite. Uh, invite people to come, people who don't go to church, people who don't know Jesus. Invite them to come and be part of our, our revival on those, on those dates. Also, I just want to ask that you, I know there's been a lot of people asking about Nina uh, McClellan. Uh, she had uh, two critical surgeries this past weekend. She had one life-saving surgery uh, Friday night, she had another very critical surgery yesterday. Uh, the doctor said it went as well as could be expected, uh, but they were not able to close her abdominal uh, wall, and so she has an open incision in her stomach, and uh, they're going in tomorrow to see if they can close that abdominal wall, and that's a very critical thing uh, for Nina. If they're not able to close that, they're going to have to look at some other options uh, to make that happen. So just pray for Mike and Tracy and the family and for Nina as uh, they continue to go through this time and they're very appreciative for all the prayers, all the calls, texts that people have given them and just continue to lift them up in prayer as they go through this difficult time. And right now I'm just going to stop and pray for Nina. But she's been through a lot. But you know what? God has been faithful to her and the McClellan's every step of the way. God has done miracle after miracle in her life. She wasn't supposed to live past the age of three. And now she's 23 and almost 24, I think. So what a blessing it is of what God has done in her life. And we just want to pray uh, for the McClellan right now. Because it is going to take a miracle of God in order for Nina to get back on the right track. And we know that he can do it, that nothing is impossible with him. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our message today. Father, we just uh, come before you right now, and we just lift up the McClellan family. God, we thank you for their love for you, for their faithfulness to our church. Father, we just thank you for the life that you've given Nina. Father, many have given up, had given up on her at even such a young age. Father, you have made it your will for her to continue to live. And Father, we just thank you for how far you have brought her. Father, we thank you for the care that she has received from the doctors. Father, we thank you for the surgeries that they've been able to do and the success they've had. And Father, we just pray tomorrow as they go in and do this critical, critical surgery. Father, we just pray that they would be able to close her abdominal wall. Father, we pray they would be able to, to close that open incision. And Father, we just pray for Nina that you would just reach down and touch her. God, just help her to know that you are with her. 
Lord, just may she feel your presence. Father, we pray for Tracy and Mike and the family and just thank you for them. And just pray, God, that they would know that you are with them also. God, just overwhelm them with your love and your grace and your mercy. And Father, we just ask that your will be done in Nina's life. And God, we just thank you for, for our church who's come alongside Mike and Tracy and supported them, prayed for them, cared for them. And help them to know, Father, they are in our thoughts and our prayers today. And we love them so much. And God, we just look forward to what you're going to do tomorrow and in the days to come in Nina's life. And Father, we just ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Let's look at uh, Matt, or John 6, verses 1 through 15 this morning. Continuing the series, The Miracles of Jesus. And I want to remind you of the purpose of the miracles of Jesus. The purpose of the miracles of Jesus was one, to demonstrate his power, and two, to demonstrate his person, to reveal that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. And this morning, we're going to dive into what seems like an impossible situation. Several years ago, there was a Food Network show called Dinner Impossible. Now, some of you may have rem may remember that show with Chef Robert, Robert Irvine, and he was given what seemed like an impossible challenge. He usually had to cook this meal for a lot of people in very adverse and very difficult circumstances. And he had a certain amount of time in which he had to cook a meal. And I read an article this week that said his most challenging task was designing a special menu at an NBA All-Star game by seeking the inspiration by five NBA teams and their five respective cities. And he prepared this meal for a crowd of 2,000 people at a fundraiser and he was racing against the clock to cook the perfect meal he accomplished this feat of making this very diverse menu for 2,000 people within 10 hours you can imagine how difficult a feat would be to feed 2,000 people with this diverse menu within 10 hours but he did it and even though this was a challenging situation this compares nothing to the situation that Jesus and the disciples faced and what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to see Jesus feed a massive crowd with very little food. To the disciples, this was dinner impossible. But to Jesus, it was dinner possible. And as we go through this miracle, we are going to discover four primary lessons that we can apply to our lives today. And just a few side notes about this miracle. This is the only pre-crucifixion miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. This miracle is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only miracle where someone contributed something to the action involved. It's the only miracle where Jesus asked his disciples questions. It's the only miracle where Jesus asked his disciples to serve him. It's the only miracle where an Israelite crowd attempts to make him king. So keep that in mind as we read this text and go through this passage this morning. John 6, verses 1 through 15. It says, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing on the sick. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, Where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they all sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. They collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When people saw the sign he had done, they said, This really is the prophet who was to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by 
himself. The first lesson I want us to see this morning is that Jesus knows the answer to our problem before we know we have a problem. Jesus knows the answer to our problem before we even know we have a problem. Jesus went to the mountainside with his disciples. They had been so busy that they hadn't had time to eat. They needed a break. They needed some rest. And so Jesus, along with his disciples, went to a remote place. But their rest was short-lived as it was interrupted by this large crowd who discovered where Jesus and his disciples were. Have you ever had your rest interrupted? You're maybe looking forward to a long Sunday afternoon nap and you get that phone call or you get that knock at the door where a child or spouse interrupts your sleep. It can be frustrating. Well, Joni and I were in seminary. She knew I was going to go there. We hadn't been married too long and we had come home from church. We had had lunch. We laid down to take a nap. And as we were sleeping, the phone rang. We woke up and Joni said, Who is this obnoxious person that is calling? Don't they know we're taking a nap? So being the good husband I was, I got up from my nap, answered the phone. Now back then it was a phone that was attached to the wall and had the long cord. It wasn't a cell phone or a cordless phone. That's how long ago this was. But I answered the phone. And who and behold was on the other end of the, model of the line? My mother. My mom was the one who was calling. She had just called my mom obnoxious. I could have had her been offended. I was for a little bit. But our marriage survived. Uh, I knew she was joking. I knew she was more frustrated that the nap was interrupted than by who was on the other end of the line but I still give her a hard time about that particular moment but but the disciples rest Jesus's rest was interrupted he went to get away and when Jesus saw this large crowd consisting of 5,000 men now notice it says 5,000 men they did not count the women and children in this crowd but there were women and children so there were at least 15,000 men some say up to 20,000 who were following and coming towards Jesus. Jesus wasn't angry. Jesus wasn't frustrated. Jesus wasn't upset his rest was interrupted. Jesus didn't call them obnoxious. Jesus didn't order them to leave. What did he do? According to Mark 6.34, it says that he had compassion on them. Mark 6.34 says that his heart went out to them because he saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. He sees them as people without purpose. He sees this crowd as people without direction. They're lost. They're hopeless. They need guidance. They need a leader. And so Jesus sees this as an opportunity to teach these people some spiritual truth. And his compassion moves him to meet their greatest needs. And the reason this large mass of people had followed Jesus was because they had seen or heard how he had healed the sick. But Jesus knew they needed something more than physical healing. Jesus knew that these people had a much greater need. Jesus knew they needed spiritual healing. And Jesus had a captive audience, so he took the time to teach about them spiritual truths. He took the time to feed them the Word of God. And Jesus wanted this crowd to be aware that their greatest need was not physical, but their greatest need was spiritual. And like this crowd without Jesus in our lives, we are, without, we are like sheep without a shepherd. We are lost. We are helpless. We are hopeless. We need guidance. We need direction. And if our spiritual need of Jesus goes unmet, it doesn't matter if all our physical needs are met. Jesus himself said in Mark 8, 36, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but yet loses his soul? You gain nothing by gaining the world, but you gain everything by gaining Jesus. Gaining Jesus means everything. Gaining Jesus or gaining everything but Jesus means absolutely nothing. And these are the spiritual truths that Jesus wanted this crowd to understand that apart from him, they would remain lost, they would remain hopeless. And it was getting late, and Jesus had been teaching for a very long time. And because it was getting late, the people were getting hungry. 
They were in a very remote location. And the disciples, they implored Jesus to send them away. To send this crowd away to the surrounding villages so they could get something to eat. On the surface, this seems like a very reasonable request. These disciples wanted to avoid a crisis. They had all these people to feed and nothing to feed them with. I don't think Jesus lost track of time. I think Jesus had a greater purpose in keeping the crowd this late. He knew this large crowd would be hungry. And he already knew what he was going to do to take care of their physical need of hunger. So rather than relieving the crisis, Jesus intensifies it. Instead of releasing the crowd, Jesus told the disciples, specifically Philip, to give them something to eat. The disciples' mindset was, Jesus, send them away. Jesus' mindset, no, we're going to feed them. What Jesus requested seemed unreasonable compared to what the disciples asked him to do. The disciples seemed to be more logical than Jesus. But you know what? The Christian life is not built on logic. You can't wrap your minds around God and Jesus and the truths of Scripture. The Christian life is built on faith, not logic. And what Jesus asked Philip and the disciples to do, it was daunting. It was overwhelming. How are these disciples with limited resources going to feed so many people? Where are they going to get that much food? Now notice Jesus didn't ask Philip if they could feed these people. He didn't say, Philip, do you think we can feed these people? He asked Philip where they were going to get the bread to feed these people. He said, Philip, where are we going to get the bread to feed this huge crowd? You see, Jesus wanted to see what Philip would do with the question he was asked. He wanted to see what Philip would do with the problem that he was presented with. Jesus had already made up his mind that these people were going to get bread. He had already made up his mind these people were going to get fed. The question the disciples faced was, where was this bread going to come from? But Jesus knew the answer to that question before he asked. He wanted Philip to know the answer. He wanted Philip to discover the answer. And Scripture says that he was testing faith or Philip's faith. He wants to see how much the disciples have grown in their faith. He wants to understand if the disciples really understand him. Because this miracle is just not for the hungry crowd. This miracle is also for the disciples. And what did Philip do? Instead of turning to Jesus and asking him to supply the bread, he begins to calculate how much is it going to cost to feed 15,000 people. I am sure this drove Jesus nuts as Philip was doing his calculations. Have you ever done that? You know, I drive my wife crazy with overthinking and overanalyzing. And sometimes she'll say, just make a decision. You're taking forever. Just decide something. And I'm sure that's what Philip was doing, or Jesus' mindset towards Philip. Jesus is thinking, the answer is right here in front of you. Why are you sitting here doing all this calculating when all you have to do is turn to me? Philip, you are overthinking. The solution is right here in front of you. But Philip calculated it would cost 200 denarii, which Scripture says that wouldn't even be close enough to feed that many people. One denarius was one day's wage. That means Philip calculated eight months' salary. One problem was that the disciples didn't have near that much money on them. The other problem was it wasn't enough to feed but one family for an entire year. Think about the immenseness of this problem that Jesus or that the disciples are facing. And instead of looking to the one who already has the answer, they tried to solve it themselves. They tried to take care of it themselves. You know, when we face problems in our lives, though, we're no different. We turn to ourselves. We turn to others. We turn to everything but Jesus. And Jesus is looking at us and telling us, I am the solution. Why are you looking to everyone and everything else but me? And instead of trying to solve our own problems, we need to turn to Jesus who already has the answer to our problems. Jesus already has the answer to our questions. 
Jesus already has the outcome to our crisis. In fact, he knows the answer before we even know we have a problem. As we go through life, we're always going to have problems that are too big for us to solve. We're going to face problems that are beyond our ability or resources to handle. Why? Because God wants to see if we know the answer. God wants to test our faith. God wants to see the strength of our faith. He wants to see if we really do trust Him. Warren Wiersbe said, Jesus looked at this situation not as a problem, but as an opportunity to trust the Father and glorify His name. You know, it's the same in our lives. We need to see our problems as an opportunity to trust God. We need to see our problems as an opportunity to grow in our faith. We need to see our problems as an opportunity to to bring glory to God. And by the way, the biggest problem we have that we can't not solve ourselves is not the problem of disease. It's not the problem of death or the problem of evil, the problem of suffering or finances or any other problem we may face. The biggest problem we have that we cannot solve ourselves is the problem of sin. And before the creation of the world, before the fall of man, Scripture makes it very clear that the plan of salvation was already in place. When sin entered the world, in Genesis chapter 3, when man fell in the garden, God didn't panic. God didn't think, what am I going to do now? God knew sin would enter the world, and he knew Jesus would be the answer to the problem of sin. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus when? Before the beginning of time. Titus 1-2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised when? Before the beginning of time. Before God created the world. Before God created us. He already had a plan in place to solve our problem of sin. And that answer is Jesus. And Jesus is just not an answer to sin. Jesus is the only answer to sin. And all too often when problems come, instead of looking to Jesus, we're too quick to look for a human solution. We want to fix our problems instead of turning to the one who can fix it. And like Philip, we forget who is with us. We forget that Jesus is with us. And if Jesus can conquer death, if Jesus can conquer hell and sin and the grave, there is no problem in our life that he can't solve. There is no problem in our life that is too big for Jesus. And if Jesus is bigger than any problem we have, if Jesus is greater than anything we face, we shouldn't be anxious about anything. If we know Jesus is bigger and Jesus is greater, we shouldn't be anxious or worry about anything. I believe the disciples were concerned about how they were going to solve this problem that faced them. They were concerned about how they were going to feed this many people. Their eyes was on the problem instead of the solution. And Jesus wants us to take our eyes off the problem. He wants us to put our eyes on the solution, which is Him. He is the only solution for any problems we face. He's the answer to all of our problems. Whether it's the problem of sin or the problem of suffering. There's not anything we will go through in life for which Jesus is not the answer. As there is nothing beyond his ability. And we need to go through life realizing Jesus already has the answer to any problem we're facing or will face. But the key is to turn to him. The key is to trust Him. The second lesson I think we can get out of this miracle is Jesus asked us to bring Him all that we have. In Mark 6, 38, Jesus asked the disciples of this miracle, how many loaves do you have? And then He tells them, go look. And I think Jesus, when He told the disciples to go look, I think Jesus knew what they would find. I think Jesus knew exactly how much bread they would find. He knew exactly how much food they would come back with. And Philip reports to Jesus in John 6, 8 that they found a boy who has five loaves and two fish. Now these loaves were small. These loaves were probably the size of a a bun or a biscuit. We're not talking huge loaves of bread. 
the fish were probably like sardines. So he had five loaves of bread and two fish. This was like the lunch a mom would pack for her son. And it may be enough to feed just one small family. And scripture says they were, these were barley loaves, not wheat loaves. Barley loaves were, were called the poor man's bread. It's the kind of bread that the poor could afford. And in Matthew's account of this miracle, Jesus tells the disciples to bring the food to him. He says, bring what you have to me. Jesus is now taken over in this miracle. The disciples have done everything they could do. They went and obeyed Jesus. They found what they could. And now they need to trust Jesus to do only what he can do with what they have given him. The disciples have now placed this problem in the hands of Jesus. And if this crowd, if Jesus doesn't intervene, this crowd is not going to get fed. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking, how is this going to work? I can't wait to see this. He doesn't have much to work with. How in the world is he going to feed 15 to 20,000 people? The disciples were looking at it from a human perspective instead of God's perspective. Can you imagine 5,000 men showing up for breakfast and there being five biscuits and a small bowl of gravy? That'd be chaos. That'd be a situation brewing. Somebody's going to get hurt. But Jesus sees a way where there seems to be no way. The disciples, I don't think, saw any way this was going to happen. But Jesus saw a way where there seemed to be no way. And in Mark 6.40, Jesus told the disciples, he said, gather the people and have them sit down or recline in groups of 50 or groups of 100. And that word recline in Scripture, when that's used, it means that they're getting ready to have a meal. And some think that this is a foretaste or a foreshadowing of those who will recline in heaven to enjoy a feast with Jesus. But after the disciples brought Jesus the bread and the fish, Scripture says in Mark 6, 41 and John 6, 11 that he took the bread, he looked to heaven, he blessed it, he broke it, and he kept giving it to his disciples to give to the people. The disciples would get some bread and they would run out, they would come back to Jesus, he would have more bread and he would give more out. And he kept giving out the bread until everyone was fed. And because the disciples brought all they had to Jesus, because they were obedient, it paved the way for Jesus to do this incredible miracle. Jesus took what the disciples gave him, and he multiplied it greatly. They never ran out. In fact, everyone ate and was filled. No one left hungry. And Jesus told the disciples to go and collect the leftovers so nothing was wasted. And how much did they collect? They collected 12 baskets full. And this was greater than the miracle of Elisha in 2 Kings 4. Elisha fed 100 men with 20 barley loaves and fresh ears of grain. Jesus fed over 15,000 people with very little food. You see, when we bring Jesus all that we have, when we're obedient to him, great things happen. Jesus can do so much more. He can do more than we can ever imagine with what we have when we give it to him than we can. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you. What's the key, though? We have to bring all that we have the best thing we can do with any problem that we face is place it in the hands of Jesus. I know from personal experience when I've tried to solve my own personal struggles, my own personal problems on my own, I fail. And I failed miserably. But when I place them in the hands of Jesus, He never and Jesus can do much with so little. He can multiply what's given to him. And when we feel inadequate or what we have to offer God seems some, so small, we must realize that it's more than enough for him. When Jesus supplies, it's always enough. When Jesus supplies, it's never too little. When Jesus supplies, it never runs out. And you may say, well, I don't have much to offer Jesus. 
Well, you're alive and breathing, aren't you? If you're alive and breathing, you have a lot to offer Jesus because you can offer Him your life. Throughout Scripture, it says that we are to be a living sacrifice to God, that we are to surrender our lives to God completely and totally. And if you are alive and breathing, if you are in this world, you can offer Jesus your life. You know what? That's what Jesus wants more than anything. He wants us to come to Him and put our lives in His hands. And our obedience to God, it paves the way for God to do great things in our lives as He is more than able to multiply what we give Him. He can multiply our gifts. He can multiply our offerings. He can multiply our efforts to accomplish His purpose in us and through us. Jesus can do so much with so little as a little can become a lot in the hands of Him. He can do so much more with our lives. He can do so much more with our problems than we can when we place them in His hands. The third thing I want to share is Jesus brings blessing out of what is broken. Jesus brings blessing out of what is broken. Recall after Jesus was given the bread and the fish and after He blessed it, then scripture says he broke it. And out of this breaking of bread came a huge, huge blessing. The people were sustained. The people were satisfied. Jesus showed that he was more than sufficient. As I mentioned just a minute ago, 12 baskets left over. How many disciples were there? There were 12. One basket for each disciple for them to remember what Jesus had done. How Jesus had broke the bread and brought blessing. How he turned a place of emptiness into a place of plenty. And when I think of the imagery of the breaking of bread, I can't help but think about the Lord's Supper in that upper room as Jesus spent time with his disciples before he was arrested and before his crucifixion. In that upper room, it says he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me. Indicating that that the suffering that he was going to endure represented his broken body. And out of the broken and scarred body of Jesus came blessing. Out of the broken and scarred body of Jesus came life, came hope, came forgiveness, came peace. And the brokenness of the cross led to the blessing of the resurrection. If the brokenness of the cross would have never happened, the resurrection would have never have occurred. The broken of the cross led to the blessing of the resurrection. You know what? When we go through broken times, God brings blessing. You know, I look back at the brokenness I've had in my life. And I see it how God used it for my good. I look back and I see it how God used it for his glory. I look at it and see how God blessed me through my brokenness. The things that he taught me. How I grew in my faith and if we want to experience the blessing of God in our brokenness here's the key we have to bring all the pieces of our brokenness to Him we can't hold on to any part of our brokenness and expect God to bless us notice what the disciples did they didn't bring one loaf to Jesus and keep four loaves for themselves they brought all five loaves and two fish and placed it in the hands of Jesus. They brought everything and gave to Jesus, kept none of it for themselves. And because they brought all they had to Jesus, the crowd and the disciples were blessed when the bread was broken. They were sustained. They were satisfied. Scripture says that they ate all that they want. They were full. If you keep reading John chapter 6, in verse 35, in exchange with some of the Jews that were questioning Jesus, he tells them, he says, I am the bread of life. And that I am is referring to, to Yahweh. When Jesus uses the words I am in the New Testament, what he's doing, he's claiming to be God. This is a critical statement. It's referring back to Exodus 3 when from the burning bush, God told Moses to deliver my people to lead my people. And Moses said, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, you tell them the great I am sent you. That Yahweh sent you. 
And when Jesus uses that verb or that word, I am, he's indicating that he is God. And he's saying, I am the bread of life. And what he's saying, in order to obtain eternal life, we must believe, we must trust in the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. And in this exchange with the Jews in verses 25 to 35 of John chapter 6, Jesus references the bread from heaven, the manna that God provided to the Israelites in the wilderness as they were wandering those 40 years. But even though God had provided them that bread, you know what happened? They still died. But Jesus is saying, I'm different from the manna. The manna that God provided the Israelites in the wilderness, that was temporary satisfaction. But I bring eternal satisfaction. You see, Jesus didn't just come to give us bread. He came to be our bread. He just didn't come to sustain us and satisfy physically. He came to sustain and satisfy us spiritually. He is our Savior. He is our sustainer. He is our satisfier. He is our sufficiency as He is able to meet our greatest needs. And Jesus will give as much of Himself to us as we desire. We can have as much of Jesus as we want to have. And to partake of the bread of life is to believe in Him. Is to believe in His suffering. Is to believe in His sacrifice. Is to follow Him and live for Him. And when we trust in the bread of life, when we recognize He is sufficient for us, regardless of what we go through in life, He will sustain us. He will satisfy us just like He sustained and satisfied this crowd. There was a song several years ago called Blessing. And the chorus goes like this, because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? What if my greatest disappointments are the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise? See, because Jesus is the bread of life. He will never waste your brokenness. He will always bless you and others in your brokenness and through your brokenness. And your brokenness could be God's mercy in disguise. Your brokenness could cause you to desire more of Jesus. And no matter where you are in your life right now, no matter what you're facing, Jesus will take what you offer Him He'll take your brokenness. He'll take your pain. He'll take your inadequacy. He'll take your doubt. And he will turn it into blessing and he will multiply it greatly. Jesus will turn our brokenness into blessing if we allow him. The last thing I want to share is Jesus uses us to bless others. Something that stuck out to me as I was preparing for this message this week is that this is one of the few miracles where Jesus invited others to be part of the miracle. And if the only point of this miracle was to show that Jesus is sufficient, Jesus simply could have called down bread from heaven and God would have provided for this crowd just like he did the, the Israelites in the wilderness. That's not what Jesus did. You know, Jesus didn't need this boy's lunch. Jesus didn't need the disciples to participate like they did. But Jesus wanted these Disciples, and he wanted this boy to experience this miracle firsthand. And the boy with this lunch, he was a huge part of this miracle. It was his bread. It was his fish that Jesus used. And what must have been going through his mind as the disciples took that bread from him and placed it in the hands of Jesus? And he watched. He was probably part of the crowd and watched all this crowd fed with his five loaves and his two fish. What a story he had to tell about how God used what he had. And then he asked the disciples to be part of it. He asked the disciples to figure out a solution. He told the disciples to go find the food. He told the disciples to bring the food to him. He told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups of 50s and 100. He told the disciples to pass out the bread. And he told the disciples to collect the leftovers. And I want you to notice, Jesus did not give out a single piece of bread to the crowd. Instead, he kept giving it to the disciples to distribute it. 
And he asked them to serve the crowd. And can you imagine what was going through the minds of the disciples? As they not only saw this miracle unfold in front of them, but they were part of it. I am sure they were in awe. I'm sure they were struck with amazement as what was happening, and they could not believe it. And I believe Jesus only wanted to show the disciples that he was enough. I believe that he wanted to use them to bless others. You know what? Jesus desires to meet our needs. He wants to meet our physical needs. He wants to meet our spiritual needs. But he also desires to use us to meet the needs of others. You know, I think of the compassion project we had yesterday and how there were many people from our church out in our community at members' homes staying here at the church doing projects to meet the needs of others. And we'll hear more about that next week. I think of the partnership we have with Redeeming Grace. Why do we make partnerships with other churches and other ministries? So God can use us to be a blessing to others. I think about what Kim mentioned, Operation Christmas Child. Why do we do it? So others can receive the blessing of salvation by receiving these these boxes that have toys. And it's not the toys that are the most important thing. It's the gift of Jesus inside that box. That's most important. But God wants to use us to bless others. And we need to understand that as followers of Christ, we are an extension of the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And he desires for us to, conf- to reflect his compassion. And our hearts should go out to and be moved by those who have physical needs. Our hearts should go out to and be moved by those who have spiritual needs. Scripture makes it very clear we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus and part of being called into the miracle of salvation the part of receiving Christ is is not to sit and do nothing Jesus says that we are saved to serve we are saved to let our work shine so that bring glory and honor to God but oftentimes before we can meet the physical needs of others I mean the spiritual needs of others we first have to meet their spiritual I mean their physical needs Before we meet the physical needs of others or spiritual needs of others, sometimes we have to meet their physical needs first. It does no good to tell someone who is hurting. It does no good to tell someone who is suffering about Jesus if we're not going to be Jesus to them. If you want to meet the physical or the spiritual need of someone, you need to meet their, you need to talk to them about Jesus as well. Meeting that physical need opens the door to telling someone about Jesus. That's what I'm trying to say. Sorry. I repeated myself five times and said the same thing. So, finally got it right. But if you want to meet someone's spiritual need, you need to be Jesus to them before you tell Jesus, tell them about Jesus. You know, we went to a homeless shelter this past Wednesday night and here in Richmond and we took our students to pack care bags and snack bags and one of the late volunteers was talking to our students. And she said that when homeless people come in and, and they shower and, and they give them a meal, they ask, they ask her, they say, why are you doing this? You know what she tells them? She says, because Jesus did this. And they'll look at her and say, what do you mean Jesus did this? And then she'll go into the story of the gospel, how Jesus hung out with the prostitutes and the sinners and tax collectors and how Jesus met the physical needs of others. Why? To give him the opportunity to share about the gospel. And she said because of that, a lot of them have turned their lives around who have come to that homeless shelter. A lot of them are now going to church as well. You see, Jesus just does not want to meet our needs. He wants to use us to meet the needs of others. He wants us to be giving. He wants us to be generous. He wants us to be sacrificial. He wants us to be serving. You say, what what can I do about it? I don't have much. I don't have much to give. We may not have much, but Jesus has all the resources we need. And he stands ready to use our lives by giving us all that we need to meet the needs of others as he wants us to realize that he is enough. And when God asks us to be a blessing to others, when God asks us to serve others, 
We need to trust that God will use what we do for Him, even if it's just a simple act of service, to have a significant impact on the lives of others. The disciples had no idea the impact that this little boy's lunch was going to have on that crowd. And we have no idea how God will use what He asks us to do. You have no idea how a kind word to somebody may change their day. You have no idea how a simple act of service may impact somebody's life for years to come. But Jesus just asks us to be obedient, understanding that he wants to use us to bless others. And when we serve others with the resources of Jesus and with his compassion, we'll not only be a blessing to others, but we'll be blessed as well. And we'll bring glory to you. This miracle had a sad conclusion in verses 14 and 15. After Jesus had done this miracle and the leftovers had been picked up, Scripture says the crowd recognized him as a prophet. They attempted to make him their king. But here's the thing, their motive was completely wrong. Jesus was not interested in the power. I mean, they were not interested in the power of Jesus. They were not interested in the person of Jesus They thought if Jesus had the power to feed this many people, surely he had the power to be an earthly king and conquer the Romans. They failed to understand that Jesus did not come to set up an earthly kingdom. Jesus came to set up a spiritual kingdom. Not only was their motive wrong, their method was wrong. Because Jesus did not come to be crowned by sinful people, but to be crucified for sinful people. So that one day he could be made the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. One commentator said this about this miracle. This miracle brings the divine will to perfect expression, for God wills to fill his creatures with himself, to meet their needs with his surplus, to expand their smallness by his greatness, to transform mundane life to abundant life. You see, through this miracle, it's evident that Jesus sustains us. It's evident that Jesus satisfies us. It's evident that he is more sufficient for any need that we have. And Jesus wants us to fill us with himself. He wants to give us as much of himself as we desire, and he wants us to be a blessing to others. And when we follow Jesus and trust him and bring to him what we have, he will supply what we need, and he'll go beyond what we ask or think. And we will never be disappointed when we place our hands and our, our, our lives and problems in the hands of Jesus because he can make much out of little. He can take the impossible and make it possible. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you feel empty. and Maybe you've tried to satisfy your emptiness with everything else in the world. If this is the case, I promise you, you'll never be satisfied. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy you. Jesus is the only one who can fill your emptiness. And this morning, he invites you to come to him. And when you come to him, Jesus promises that you will never hunger and thirst again. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus, we'd love to show you how you can come and give your life to him. Or you're here, you've given your life to Christ. I want you to think about, are you looking to Jesus to solve your problems? Are you bringing all that you have to Him? Are you asking Jesus to turn your brokenness into blessing? Do you really believe that Jesus can make the impossible possible? Are you willing for Jesus to use you to meet the needs of others? These are all spiritual truths that we see in this miracle. And these are spiritual truths that Jesus wants us as his followers to apply to our lives today. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. Lord, we just feel so inadequate this morning. And God, I pray that, that we would realize who we are. Lord, that we are a sinful people in need of a Savior. And Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus 
Lord, to meet our spiritual need. Father, may we realize and recognize that He is the only solution for our problem called sin. Father, if there's someone here this morning who hasn't given their life to you, I pray this morning they would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Father, I pray they would recognize that nothing else in this world can satisfy them. And like Jesus said, what can profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Father, I pray that we would desire to pursue not this world, but we would desire to pursue you. And Father, I pray that we would take the lessons that we've seen this morning, this miracle, and apply it to our lives. Father, I pray that we would understand that you know the answer to our problem before we have a problem. And Father, I'm sure there, there are some here this morning who are struggling or hurting or suffering. And God, they're, they're looking for an answer. And Father, I pray before they turn anyone else or anywhere else, they'll turn to you. Father, I pray that we would recognize that you want to turn our brokenness into blessing. God, that you want us to bring to you all that we have. Father, may we yield every area of our lives to you and surrender to you completely. Father, may we understand that you can do so much more with what we have than we can. And Father, may we understand when we give our lives to you, God, that you want to use us to bless others. And God, I pray that we would desire as we go through our days, as we go through our weeks, that we would seek those that we can serve. God, that we would see ourselves in as an extension of your grace and your mercy, and that we would desire, Lord, to meet the needs of others so we can tell them about you. God, we love you so much. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for this miracle. And God, we just ask your blessings upon the rest of this service, upon this time of commitment. May we search our hearts today. And Lord, just do what you ask us to do love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This altar is going to be open during our time of invitation. If God has spoken to you this morning, maybe you need to come to this altar and just cry out to him. If you need someone to pray with you, I'll be down at the front. I'd love to talk to you or pray with you about what might be going on in your life. If you want to come and pray for our revival, it's going to take prayer for our revival to be what God wants it to be. Maybe God's laid it on your heart to come and pray for someone you know that's struggling and going through a tough time and they need a miracle. Whatever God has asked you to do this morning, I would encourage you to do it. Let's stand as we sing.